Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, dreamers of the future, and welcome to another gripping episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Another week in lockdown, and the good times keep rolling, Matt. The good times do keep rolling, don't they, James? How can we get any better than this? This is paradise, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, let me out, let me out. Look, what I have been impressed with over the last week, though, I've seen a few examples. In fact, I've seen a few examples for a few months now, but I've just had a few driven home to me in the last week or so. It's often been talked about that the pandemic has progressed our use and knowledge of technology much quicker. So absolutely, the general yeah. theme is maybe in three months we've progressed three years, for example. But I've seen a few examples over the last week where that's really been the case. I've had some people that might be in their slightly later years. Can seniors? I say that? Seniors? Yeah, seniors, let's just yes. call it seniors. Some yeah, senior people. Way who may have been using, say, for example, flip phones, basic little flip phones until very recently. And because of scanning in and QR codes, they've had to go to a smartphone. Mm. And before you know it, they're doing all these amazing things. And I was talking to one the other day that was showing me some videos that she'd been editing. So suddenly going from a flip phone to taking videos, then editing those videos on a phone and then sending those videos off to some of her children and grandchildren to say what grandma or what mum was up to. And I sat back and went, That's pretty impressive, you know, for someone that really didn't look like they were ever going to jump on technology and take advantage of what was out there, because you've been forced to do it to a certain extent, then grasping it. Yeah, necessity does amazing things, doesn't it? It does indeed, but I started thinking about a few other examples there, and I, I actually have seen a few in the last couple of weeks where that has been the case, where they've been forced into it and then they've embraced it. And before you know it, they're experts in their field in the technology (laughs) side. So the lockdown, you're always looking for a silver lining. I try to be a very positive person, James. You're looking for those silver linings and that is one of those silver linings where people are using technology that we never thought would or maybe using it in a much more advanced way than ever they thought possible. Well, it took a little bit remotely, I've got to say, in personal experience, but my own parents, we we contact each other by phone and we we talk on the phone for for ages and then... now, when the pandemic hit, um, we we managed to teach them how to to use you know the FaceTime or, or a similar program, and now they don't want to talk on the phone at all. <laughs> yeah, ever. It's, it's never just a voice call now. It has to be. And we actually had this with my son's birthday recently. We were having a little bit of difficulty getting the video to work, but oh, no, 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 we, we couldn't have just a phone call. We had to have that video working. So, yeah, um, they become masters of that. Uh, and hats off to them. All right, Matt. I don't know where to start this week. Um, it's a cracking lineup. Uh, you've got an out for kids who are terrible at brushing their teeth, a crazy idea for a new weapon from the US Navy, and, and a newer, brighter angle for nuclear power. Uh, but without any further ado, folks, let's dive in for an update on the latest iPhone release. Matt, the rumour mill is churning, and uh, I want to know, what, what can iPhone devotees be looking forward to now? I feel like I've been sucked in here, James. I don't like talking about... It's a marketing about... machine. Oh, it is. And I just, I'm convinced... The rumours that we hear about any new product coming out, whether it be from Samsung or whether it be from Apple or other manufacturers, I just get the feeling that there's someone out there and their job is rumour spreader. Yeah, Your official right. title. Yeah. You are the guy with the leaks. That's and right. like when we're worried about leaks now, we know it was John or Jeff you know, who sits at that cubicle over there because that's what his job is. That's right. That's his job title. And I've seen examples in the past where someone has found, in inverted commas, 
a new product at the bar and next thing you know, all these journalists are talking about yeah. it and they've got this scoop because they found it. And again, I'm sure either someone got sacked and never to be working in the industry again <laughs> or applauded because they did such a good job in spreading rumours. Yeah. So I try and avoid the rumours a little bit and the latest iPhone, which comes out maybe by the end of September. Here's the but, folks. I try to avoid rumours, but... <laughs> but I've been sucked in. I've been t- I put my hand up. I've been sucked in. Because one of the rumours on the latest iPhone is just too good to be true. And all the standard rumours, you hear all those standard things about the size of the battery or the new cameras it'll have or the new high refresh rate screen, all those things. They're almost standard. You expect little improvements everywhere. Mm -hmm. But this one, this one gets me. The new iPhone, now I don't think it'll be called a 13. Some rumour will say it'll be called 13, but I just don't think... It's just too unlucky. And there's a whole bunch of people out there that won't buy it. On the strength of that. And a whole bunch of people, I would suggest, maybe in China, who seem to be, a lot of people there seem to be very superstitious, I just think a 13 will not go down very well. So I suggest... the iPhone 8 again. Or maybe go back again, (laughs) start again. We're back to the zero. We've gone so far, we've had to loop around the clock. The 12S, I think, was what it would be called, rather than the 13. Or they might do what Samsung did and just jump a whole bunch of numbers like Samsung went from 10 to 20. (laughs) They might do that. But I think the 12S. So let's call it the 12S for the moment. And I might be wrong when I listen back to this in a couple of weeks' time. (laughs) But one of the rumours is that the iPhone 12S will have all its normal connectivity, 5G, Wi-Fi, all the sort of things you'd expect to be able to connect to the outside world. Included in all of that will be the ability to connect to satellite. Now, I sell satellite phones, not very many of them, but I sell satellite phones, and they're chunky-looking things with a pretty chunky antenna. You've obviously got to be outside so you can see the sky to get a connection. And if that's your only way to get a connection, it's not too bad. But if you've got any other way to get connected, surely you would do that better. Well, surely, yeah, if you're out in the sticks, and yeah, you've got to go... (laughs) Out in the back paddock or whatever, then you're going to get that satellite technology and, and, and you'll say, it's a necessity. That's right. You'll say, okay, I accept that if I'm there, but I'll use any other device if I can. The iPhone 12S presumably is going to be a similar shape to the 12. To build in the ability for it to contact satellites, I don't think is achievable, but this is, again, one of these rumours that's out there. If it is, it would be fantastic. Now, if it is, it would probably be linking into one of the many low-Earth orbit satellite companies. So, for example, you've got Starlink, that's Elon Musk's company, or you've got Imasat. So you've got a few of those companies. Those satellites are low-Earth orbit, so they're typically around the 550-kilometre mark. Low-Earth orbit is anything below about 2,000 kilometres, but most of these satellites for phones are around about the 550 kilometres. They need a number of those satellites up there because they go whizzing past us so they don't stay above us like a geostationary. But to get a phone that's normally used to communicating with a tower that's, say, five kilometres away or ten kilometres away, to suddenly communicate with a satellite that's 550 kilometres away, I don't think it's achievable in a phone. But I'm happy to be proven wrong. If this is the case, you'd have to have some other subscription, you would think, to be Mm. able to actually use it. But I think a lot of people would do that. So they've got their normal mobile phone, they've got their normal towers they'd use, but when they go and travel out back somewhere. And just in case they find themselves, you know, sort of in the middle of nowhere, yeah. which is unlikely, but probably, you know. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of people would pay the 30 or $40 a month they might have to pay for yep. that privilege to be able to do it if they needed to. If it was $200 a month, probably not. But for 30 or 40 bucks a month, I think most people would say, yeah, it's probably worth it. I'll do okay. that. I'd love it to be true, James. I'd love it to be true. And I'd love it to be one of the times that the rumors that were spread were absolutely spot on. I've just got my doubts, but I wanted to talk about it just in case it was true. Yeah, so right. we can say, we yep. nailed that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you got it first from Matt Dickerson. That's it. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. This is the reason for all the hubbub. Um, throw your battle gear on and join the queue. Socially distance, of course, for the iPhone 13. Uh, or the 12S. Sorry, I'll stand corrected. Big things are set to happen for the electricity supply with the revolution in the nuclear power supply. It looks as if we're going to be moving away from uranium. 
and heading for Thorium for a couple of good reasons. Matt, tell us more about this. Many people that I talk to about nuclear power, because nuclear power is quite a reasonable option to provide power to us going forward in the future, certainly much better than coal, maybe not quite as good as wind farms or solar, but certainly a good option. Most people get a bit scared. They point to some little famous incidents we've had over the past where mm. there's been a little meltdown and it's maybe done some damage well to a large down. chunk of land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, just a, a minor little issue there. But a lot of people say, oh, once we get thorium going, that'll be the solution. Mm. But they've tried to get that going. And way back in the 40s when nuclear power was just being developed in the US, they tried thorium because they thought it would be a good solution. And I think they gave up by about the 70s. So it took them mm. a while, but they went, no, nah, this is no good. Mm. Even India, India weren't allowed to actually be supplied uranium up until 2008. So they were working on thorium back in the 90s. And it was obviously in their best interest to get it going because they didn't have access to uranium. They couldn't get it going. But now China believes by the end of this year, they'll have a nuclear power plant, only a small one, but they'll have a nuclear power plant working on thorium. And there's a couple of reasons you'd want to do that. The first, the safe life of thorium. The safe life of thorium, about 500 years, I'm guessing, yeah. yeah. And uranium. And uranium, uh, several thousand, uh, 2,000 at least, yeah. So even though 500 doesn't sound great, it's certainly better than uranium. So when we're inflicting these mm. waste products on many future generations ahead, we can say... 500 years' time, that bit of land that you've buried that thorium in, yeah. or those waste products from thorium is a bit better than thousands of oh, years. It's a bonus, nevertheless. It's, a, it's yeah. a bonus. It's not the number one reason I do it. Probably the number one reason is that making nuclear weapons from uranium is a fairly well-known technology now. Yeah. Making nuclear weapons from thorium, I'm not sure it's that we can impossible. really do it. Yeah. yeah, you need a fission reaction, and that happens with uh, uranium-235, yeah. So that's kind of a bit nicer to say, hey, the world, you can have some of this thorium to produce power, and we're pretty confident you're not going to go and bomb us from the result of being <laughs> handed some of this thorium. So that's yeah, nice right. as well. But what you've just said there is the problem in the past. Thorium, to try and get that reaction ongoing, is obviously much harder to do in a nuclear reactor yeah, than, right. say, uranium. The technology yeah, is the there. the technology was there. We yeah. know how to do it. There's nuclear reactors all around the world using uranium. Thorium is obviously the holy grail. If we can get it going with thorium, fantastic. So China's got a two-megawatt plant that they're building from thorium, which isn't much, but it's really a test reactor. If they can get that going, get it going successfully, they've got plans to build 100 megawatt nuclear reactors from thorium or using thorium, yeah, right. and then they'll obviously have those to be able to spread around the country. The other bonus they've been doing in this technology is not using water to cool the reactor, because keeping the reactor at the right temperature is, again, pretty important in a uranium yeah. nuclear reactor. They've been using molten salt to keep the temperature at the right level for cooling, to take some of that heat away from the reaction to keep it at the right temperature. Right. And again, molten salt means... You can make these maybe not next to an ocean. You can make these next to the desert or in the middle of the desert yeah, right. where maybe you haven't got as many people living. So a nuclear reactor, say Fukushima, on the coastline for all that water presents a bit of a problem when you have a little tsunami come along and cause some damage there. So again, lots of bonuses there. Mm. If we can get nuclear reactors from thorium, I can see the world jumping onto the whole nuclear reactor game rather than saying we still don't like the idea. Big things to happen out of that. That'll be a revolution. Um, but uh, watch that space, folks. Speaking of watching this space, back to EVs. Nissan has a new hybrid alternative for Australian consumers who are still at a, a little tentative about going fully electric. Is this the real deal, Matt, or is it just some marketing hype that is essentially just a normal hybrid? I think it's really trying to attack Toyota, who have got a really successful 
hybrid program and people are comfortable with the hybrid from Toyota, saves a bit of a fuel economy and you put normal petrol in it so it's convenient and mm. people generally like the idea of convenience better than saving the planet. So <laughs> right. I think Nissan's jumped onto that and it's actually old technology in two components there. One is the car itself. I had a Holden Volt almost eight years ago to the day. I got a Holden Volt, took delivery of it, and it was one of those examples of technology where I went, wow, this has really nailed it. The Holden Volt was an electric car, plug-in hybrid electric car, I think would be the correct term for it. It had a small 16.5 kilowatt hour battery. One of my current cars has got a 100 kilowatt hour battery, so a much smaller battery than you'd expect. The range of that was about 87 kilometres, so not that exciting. Most people go, I'm not buying that. 87 (laughs) kilometres, that's terrible. Move on. That's right. (laughs) Give me something better. But it had another component to it, a little secret up its sleeve, where you actually had the ability to have a petrol engine on board, and once the battery went flat, the petrol engine kicked in automatically, and then you could keep driving for as long as the petrol was lasting, and then fill up at a normal petrol station. So I thought this was brilliant. I thought it was the best of both worlds. So the Holden Volt, you may not have heard of one, but it was a complete flop. The one I had was one of only 250 in the nation. Yeah, right. It was a flop. It was a Chevrolet Bolt. They were called over in America, and they were brought into Australia as a Holden Volt. I like the Volt name better than Bolt. In Australia, for some reason, complete flop. Well, we'd like to hear from listeners who are still driving around their Holden Volt, uh, (laughs) see if they are still getting around. That's right. If you've got one of those 250, absolutely. So what Nissan has done is they've said, we actually think the Holden Volt was the right idea, but let's forget about the 16.5 kilowatt hour battery, because that meant you were carrying a battery around and a petrol engine and petrol, why don't we just make a straight petrol generation to electric model? And I call it a gateway electric vehicle. It's got electric motors. It's got all that instant acceleration that you expect to see out of an electric car. It's got the quiet running of an electric car, albeit with a petrol engine still running. And the petrol engine that runs has got one job in life to do, and that's generate electricity for the electric motors. So you don't, well, you probably have a very small battery. You don't really have a battery on board or such. And the technology is old. We go back to 1903 was the first example I could find of this same sort of technology. In Russia, they built a ship that was a diesel electric ship. The Swedish Navy the next year said, we like that idea so much, we're going to build a submarine with a diesel electric engine. And the submarine was even cleverer than that because once you went underwater with the submarine, you didn't have to worry about trying to find some oxygen to get the reaction going in terms of burning diesel and oxygen to have that combustion and internal combustion, once you went underwater, you could just run off your batteries and then come up on top and keep running off those. But So great idea. And then trains, just about every train that we would see running that's not running off pure electric lines is running on electric motor, but a diesel engine is producing the power. So 1918 was the first diesel electric train and that was in the US. Wow. So all this technology is there, all those examples. So Nissan's doing the same thing. They've got this whole concept known as e-power. So they believe the Holden Volt was the right model, albeit with a different battery. They believe all those examples, ships, trains, mm-hmm. submarines, are all right. And they like the idea of the convenience if you just go to a petrol station, fill up and continue your journey. And they believe they can deliver a car more efficient than one that drives through a normal transmission to the wheels of the car to actually run it. The other really good thing is that when you put your foot down on the accelerator in a normal car, it revs hard as it tries to accelerate. And the reason you've got a transmission is to try and keep your revs in the right power band to produce the most efficient power. I remember when I used to race motorbikes when I was a kid, it was always friends or people that would kind of coach me as such that would always say, you know, where's your power band? Keep it in the power band. So you're constantly trying to keep it in the right revs and on a two-stroke 
motorbike, it was a very small power band, so you're always <laughs> trying to keep it the right revs by using the gears to get it to the right spot. And again, the same sort of concept here, you don't need to worry about the engine revving high and low, it's just a generator. So we can sit there at fairly constant revs at the right revs because all it's doing is producing enough power to actually get power to the electric motors. Again, they have a small battery on board, so you've got a bit of a buffer, so it doesn't have to be revving harder when the acceleration happened. But in general, I think they're onto a winner here. I still like pure EVs. I still am a fan of pure EVs. There's lots of people out there that have range anxiety to the point they won't buy a car. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the blocker, isn't it? That They're is just... the blocker. So this way, it gets them accustomed to the idea. They're still not having to deal with range anxiety, but I think they just like the idea of driving it. They feel the acceleration of it. They see how quiet it is, and then they go, you know what, my next car... I'm going to go EV. So mm. it kind of gets that stepping stone there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we look forward to hearing more about how well this gets taken up by some nervous Aussies. The next story gave me a flashback to being a 13-year-old in the dentist chair receiving the short end of the stick from a rather militant dental hygienist. Scared the bejeebas out of me. How about this, folks? Do you clean your teeth for the recommended two minutes? No? Well, it seems that no one else does either. So it sounds like we all... Kind of need a fast and lazy way to clean our teeth. Matt, how would I pitch this idea to that ghost from a past? Well, I'm actually interested. Did the militant nurse actually have an impact on you? Did you take any notice of what you were told I as a 13-year-old? I was say, I don't go for two minutes. But, um, <laughs> but for a while there... I went for two minutes and then some, and um, and then I had another go. You know, just uh, <laughs> so it worked. Yeah, it did work for a little while for a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> so one of the things that dentists talk about often is that their patients tell them two lies constantly. The first lie is that yes, Mister Dentist, I always floss. Mm. No one flosses. And the second thing is that oh yes, yes, of course I clean my teeth for two minutes, just like you told me to last time. And the evidence after they look at your teeth is that, no, you didn't clean no. your teeth for two minutes. <laughs> and life gets in the road, and we do a bit of a rub around, and you've covered all your teeth. Two I've done the back ones. Long time. I've got a friend who actually took the advice from the dentist and got a two-minute timer, and he told me that two minutes is an eternity to actually clean your teeth for. So if you actually go and try and clean your teeth for two minutes, you realise just how long it is. So no one is ever going to do this. This new concept solves the problem because it says, depending on the exact model you buy, 20 seconds to 30 seconds is all you need. It's my kind of toothbrush. Yeah, right. And what it looks like is a mouth guard, a top and bottom mouth guard. You put the mouth guard in, you put a bit of toothpaste in first, sorry, you put the mouth guard in your mouth and it hooks up to a little device that then gives it the power to actually go to work on your teeth. So it starts cleaning all your teeth and the reason it can do it so quickly is unlike when we clean our teeth manually, it does them all at once. So it's doing the top, the bottom, the front, the back, the inside and the outside, all over it, because this whole mouth guide fully encompasses your mouth. I'm actually trying to get hold of one. I've been looking for one locally. I can't find one locally. I'll probably just order one online, because I love the idea. I actually looked at it <laughs> yeah, around. Right. It looked pretty funny with someone in their mouth. I watched a video of it. But it looks like it really does the job on all your teeth. But most of the time, people aren't watching you brush your teeth. So I think you'd be all right, right? <laughs> well, even if you brush it with normal toothbrush, it's probably not the most attractive thing. It's not the sort of thing you go on a first date and say, can you just come and watch me clean my teeth? <laughs> so you're probably right. It doesn't matter about the look of it. But I love the concept that you actually put it in, sit yep. back there, let it go to town. And then 30 seconds later, you've done the job. Bingo. Rinse your mouth out. Job done. So I just think this is, again, we can't solve the problem with human behaviour, let's solve the problem with technology. Now we're talking. Oh, I don't know, Matt. Um, I'm still worried that dental nurse is going to find out. She's got to be about 80 by now, but um, <laughs> yeah, she's still pack a punch. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't tell whether this next story has come from a sci-fi movie or a cheap B-grade 80s-style comedy. A new weapon has been developed by the US Navy, and it aims to stop the target from talking. Matt, you've got to fill in some blanks here. There's actually a patent. They've got a patent on this. I was a bit the same as you. Surely this is just a made-up story. And I found it's a for few giggles. It's for giggles. That's right. I found a few examples of it, and I found a few references. And then there is a patent for this. And it's really disconcerting if you hear your own voice back at the best of times. Mm. But if you hear your own voice back while you're trying to speak, it's really tough to talk. And I've had it happen to me. I've been doing radio interviews and I've heard my own voice being fed back for some reason, not sure why, just with a slight delay. I'm talking half a second or a second delay. Only needs to be a tiny one. It used to happen on old phones sometimes as well. You get some sort of an echo as well. Yeah, and sometimes when you talk to someone that's got, say, Bluetooth in their car and it's a pretty cheap one and you get that echo back, but it's hard to keep talking because you keep hearing back. (laughs) So it all goes all over the place. So you don't know what you're saying, and so you start stumbling over your words and you look like a bumbling idiot. The U.S. Navy has thought we could use this as a weapon. So imagine, here we go. We've got a crowd of people that you're trying to disperse. And you've got all these weapons at your disposal. Maybe you come in with water jets or you come in with plastic bullets or maybe get more heavy-handed than that. But imagine if you just made the person who's leading the rally look like a bumbling idiot. Then the crowd would go, what are we doing here? This guy, our leader, he's got no idea what he's talking about. So instead of trying to disperse the crowd... Imagine an anti-vaxxer crowd, and you've got someone at the front who may look like a bumbling idiot anyway without this weapon, but standing at the front saying, don't get vaccinated, this is all crazy, it's all Mm. a government conspiracy, and he starts talking, and they aim this weapon at him. And what it does is it picks up with a microphone what the person's saying, and then puts a focused beam back to that person so only they can hear it. Oh, wow. And they put, apparently a 200 millisecond delay is the perfect delay to make you as discombobulated as possible. A laser-like sonic beam. Exactly right. Wow. So the person stands in front of the crowd, right, everyone, let's take on this stupid government and we're not going to get vaccinated. But then they start hearing their own words back and start stumbling over their words and they can't work out what they're saying. And then the crowd finally disperses because they go, well, no one up here is talking any sense to us. We're just going to go because we're over this. This is just crazy. And meanwhile, the person afterwards says, something was happening. I heard my own voice coming back and they're going... Are you sure? (laughs) Was that in (laughs) your own head? Because we couldn't hear anything. We were standing right beside you. We couldn't hear a thing. Wow. So what a really clever weapon. I hope it never gets used. Very subtle. Very subtle. I hope it never gets used on me because that would just be so disconcerting. But now I'd know that it was the US Navy up to what I'm I'm onto here. But I just think in terms of a weapon development, what a clever way to develop a weapon without any trace of it afterwards. So maybe we needed this over the last four years in the US to focus on their president or maybe listening to some of the stuff he said, maybe they already had it focused on him. They were testing it on him. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, that that sort of non-lethal technology, maybe um, that's one for the Mythbusters fans too, I think, yeah. <laughs> I'd like actually, the the I'd brown li- note weapon, yeah? Well, I'd like to try it out. I'd like to actually have something set up where I do some thing where I put a 200 millisecond delay and just see how hard it is for me to talk. Because when I've had it happen to me on radio, I've actually held whatever device I've had, whether it be a phone or whether it be some earpieces, mm. I've held it away from my ear while I've spoken because it's too hard to keep talking and then put it back when the interviewer asks me the next question. So it's really hard to do it. I've actually never tried to continue talking through it. Well, yeah. <laughs> They've just got to be careful about not using it too much as well because as soon as one, someone, uh, one of these speakers shows up to a, a rally with, say, I don't know, a pair of earplugs. <laughs> That's their weapon. I'm, I'm onto it. I'm, I've got my defence against this weapon. I've got earplugs here ready to go. <laughs> now, this is a great story. Air guitar. It's an art form of its own. And at one stage you know, or another, we've all had a go at it. Those killer riffs clear in your ear. You can hear them as you blast out those brain-melting solos. Well... 
what if everyone else could hear it too? And that's you actually playing it. Matt, here, we got an idea that can we maybe take on the road here, start up a band? <laughs> I think so, James. Now, a personal question here. What's the song that you play in your head when the air guitar is going? It always starts off with probably um, the the opening riff, um, uh, "Sweet Child of Mine." You know, a bit of gun, Gunners, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, got to be heavy, hasn't it? If, yeah, you, if you're going to yeah, play yeah. air guitar properly, and you've got to imagine yourself with a mullet. <laughs> Absolutely, it's compulsory. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an example of someone solving their problem. Necessity is the mother of invention. In this particular case, there was a student at college, and he decided because his friends could play guitar pretty well that he learned the guitar. So he started trying to learn the guitar and his friends, his roommates at college said, actually, if you want to learn the guitar, you can't be our friend anymore because you're so bad at it. We want you to leave the room, leave you the college. you being our friend for about three or four years. That's right. And come come back. back. When you get your 10,000 hours under your belt, then come back and see us. But in the meantime, can you go away? So he gave up the guitar, but he still had the dream of it. So he came up with the idea of building a plectrum, a air guitar plectrum or pick that actually linked via Bluetooth to your phone to then actually play some tunes. So when you're there, and think about the technology, <laughs> this you couldn't have done this 10 years ago. The actual plectrum is sensitive enough that it knows when you're doing a downstroke or an upstroke or how fast you're moving it. Then it's got Bluetooth, because of course if it's going to be any good, it's got to have Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. It's got Bluetooth to your phone to then pick up on your movements of the pick to then play whatever sound comes Shut out of there. This is <laughs> and then it gets better, because you can choose what chord you want to play on your phone. So if you want to get really <laughs> tricky, you choose a chord and you start strumming away with that or making any movements that you want and then start changing your chords on your phone. I think there'd be a real skill in playing this quite cleverly in terms of picking the right chord and playing and away you go. I don't know if it's got that famous chord at the beginning of the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night, you know, the one that yeah, just yeah. sounds terrible and out of tune. I don't know that Paul McCartney's ever actually told us what chord that is. <laughs> it might not have that chord, but it's got all the simple and difficult to play chords yeah, right. on your phone because you don't have to get your fingers wrapped around that chord. No, you just press just a different button on your phone and then start playing it. This is two examples today, James, where I've been sucked in. This is that impressive that I hope my son doesn't listen to this one because I've bought this already for his Christmas present because <laughs> I was that impressed. My, my son plays a guitar already and, and plays it reasonably well but I just think this is too much fun that I've got to find some no. sort of present for him Guitar hero, eat your heart out Look mate, <laughs> if I can't be in your band, can I at least be your roadie? Yeah, that's right, carry around this little tiny thing Just it's carry a, your phone It's about the size of a matchbox <laughs> and your phone, carry those around You don't have the big muscles like a roadie then if you're doing that You're just carrying around this little tiny thing <laughs> But at least I get to play it in front of the crowd Absolutely Before you know, I get to tune it Tune, tune the air guitar up, I like it, I like it What's happening around the world with the global EV car sales? Uh, Is it good news for future dreamers? I think it is, and I've picked on this story at the moment just because of World EV Day. It's not well known at this stage, but World EV Day is the 9th of September. So we've just gone past World EV Day. So I thought we'd talk about it. Let's talk about the sales from the first half of this year. So January to June this year. 2.6 2.6 million electric vehicles were sold on a global basis. Doesn't sound like a huge number, given the fact that in Australia, of all vehicles, we normally buy about a million vehicles. Mm. So not a huge mm. number, but the nice news is that that's gone up 160% year on year. So compared to 2020, January to June, 160% increase. Across the world, car sales in general went up by 26% over 2020. So a small increase or a reasonable increase for normal cars, but 160% for EVs. Well, starting off with small numbers, but we're getting bigger. It's growing. That's right. Sounds great, 160%, but it's off a small base. Mm. So I accept that. But at least it's going the right direction. So happy days. The big news for me was China. 12% of all passenger cars in China were 
EVs. So that's pretty significant. Now, a lot of people point to China and say they're the bad guys in climate change across the world. I'm not changing my habits until China changes their habits. Well, guess what, folks? We've had a story today about thorium in China in terms of being able to produce power from thorium. Here we are, 12% of all passenger vehicles sold in China. So they are starting to change. And so do we have to wait for them to change or should we start doing something? Europe's still leading the way. Across Europe, you've got 15% of all new cars sold. Obviously, you've got some shining examples in Europe. Norway, for example, about 80% of all new cars sold in Norway were EVs. They seem to be leading the way up in Scandinavia there, don't they? Yeah, they do. You're spot on. In America, still not great. They're still catching up being the rest of the world. And you've got some examples in the US where you've got, say, California, which is going quite well. But in US in general, not great numbers. The biggest thing for me is in poor old Australia, we're still only about 0.8% of all new cars sold. And there's no real reason. I mean, we, we look at the US and point the finger at them sometime. They at least had 3% across the board. And again, mm. some places like California, they're getting up to 10%. But in Australia, we are definitely lagging behind the rest of the world in what's happening here. Mm. Now, when you break it down a bit, top five manufacturers, not a big surprise here. Tesla led the world market with 15% market share. Volkswagen, Volkswagen said a few years ago they wanted to topple Toyota. Then they kind of cheated to try and do it with that Mm. whole little diesel cake scandal that they had. So that gave them a massive hit probably from people who really wanted to see someone doing things ethically and producing more pollution than they said they were. That really harmed them. Their board of directors, I believe, are now saying, okay, We've done something bad. We've got to fix it. And the way to fix it is to go EV. So they've put a huge amount of emphasis on their EV strategy. And it's working. 13% market share across the world. Then you've got SGMW. So that's a combination of a few different companies, mainly in China. SAIC, Wuling, GM's in there as well. They've got market share of 11% across the world. BMW, surprised me, they came in fourth, but they've got the Mini. The Mini's a really popular little EV. Mm -hmm. They've got 6% market share. So a few big names there and a few new names. It'll be interesting to see what the names we see in the market share across the world in, say, five years' time. The obvious one that's missing from that list is Toyota, biggest manufacturer across the world. And I think they're a bit late to the game with EVs and whether or not that will have long-term implications or whether they'll suddenly ramp up production and then take over the world like they've done in normal cars – I'm not sure. My personal view is they've probably lost too much ground already to the likes of the, the VWs and the Teslas. Yeah, goodness me. Big yeah. call, I know. Yeah, but that's, yeah, again, that's a big one to watch. Here's a story that I'm going to guess has come straight from the US. Bulletproof vests. Have you got yours yet, folks? No? Well, before you head out and pick up a, an outdated Kevlar number, get a load of the new nanomaterial vests that'll take a bullet better than anything else. Uh, super lightweight material, I, I guess we're going to hear about here, folks. Uh, I joke, but look, behind the joke lies tears of despair. W- what have you got for us, Matt? Anything that's got the word nano in it is cool and trendy and hip and happening. I've actually been thinking about renaming this to Nano Tech Talk because obviously that's where the future is headed. Mm. And sometimes I look at these stories and I say they just put the word nano in and they expected us to jump all over it, and we have. But <laughs> it does still sound pretty cool when they start to use these sort of nano structures. One of the things that's interesting in this story is, yes, it's all about building something that's going to catch the headlines and be interesting for people to look at. So a better bulletproof vest, that's a good headline grabber. But when you start to break it down and look at what you might use these materials for, there's a whole range of other uses. I'm not sure how many bulletproof vests they sell in America, probably a few. I'm sure they don't sell many in Australia. I don't see that on the top of any shopping lists or Mm. Christmas lists that I buy for or people that I buy for. But 
obviously there are lots of reasons we might need some protection in our material. It might be if we're going skiing or it might be for racing mountain bikes or it might be doing any sort of sport where we're looking for something that protects us from an impact. It might even be just playing cricket where we want something that's a better set of pads that protect us a bit more and they're lighter to run around because I always used to look like an idiot when I was running between the wickets and my pads <laughs> flapping around between my legs and I looked like I was too overweight because I had to put my legs far apart while I ran. And So it was all those sort of things. So lots of uses of this. But this particular material, they've developed based on a concept that Lord Kelvin came up with back in 1887. Now, most people have got some degree of interest in science or are familiar with the name Kelvin because... Kelvin. yeah, absolutely. Uh, temperature, yeah, temperature scale. A measurement of temperature rather than degrees Celsius That's or Fahrenheit. Right. The one that scientists obviously use is Kelvin, and we talk about absolute zero being zero Kelvin and then going up from there. So when you look at um, Lord Kelvin, he actually talked about a shape, the best shape, three-dimensional shape to fill a space with, he talked about was a tetrachyda decahedron. Nicely said. That's exactly how I would have said it. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. So he had this 14-faced shape that he said was the best shape to fill an empty three-dimensional space. He was a clever cookie. He was. He didn't have access to the same engineering of materials that we have now. Scientists at Caltech have now managed to manufacture a shape or a substance built on this shape, which then, because it's so tightly strung together, is able to resist an impact from something like a speeding bullet, but also an impact from something like a tree, if you're a downhill skier, for example. So the idea here is that they're taking these nanostructures, these tiny structures, building shapes that are the best possible shapes, and then building that out into a substance that then can be used for large applications. You build it at the nanoscale, it's not much good. You've got it at this tiny microscopic scale. Build it from there and then continue to build it up to a larger scale, that's when you start to get some development there. So these sort of nano-architected materials using shapes like a tetrachyda decahedron, just want to say it again. Wow, that's rolling off the tongue now. <laughs> then I think we'll see lots of uses for these and bulletproof vests will probably be one of them because they can do lots of testing in that and it's really good for the maybe YouTube clips when you go and use a bulletproof vest and show how strong it is and show how good it protects you versus Kevlar. Now, Kevlar is great as well. Kevlar is just a bit heavier than this particular substance and Kevlar doesn't have the word nano in it, so it's never going to be as good yeah, as it's it. it's never going to sell. Never <laughs> going to sell. Well, it sounds good and I hope it's going to stop a zombie bite as well. Um, <laughs> I can only assume. Well, if it stops a fast-moving object, surely a slower-moving object like some zombie teeth, surely that would be okay surely. as well. But those zombie teeth, they really want to get into you. Now for some really good news, if that wasn't good enough for you folks. Australia has long been known for its innovation in solar cell technology. And we continue to run this, folks, with uh, a special contribution with Australian National University in Canberra. Uh, What's new in solar tech, Matt? I'm convinced that the first guy that was on this concept and said, hey, I've got an idea, was laughed at. Because the concept here is to produce more electricity by having a solar cell that generates electricity from the sun that hits the front of it, which kind of makes sense, and also the sun that hits the back of it. And the first reaction I'm sure I got from his colleagues was, what are you talking about? How's the sun going to get to the back of it? (laughs) That's right. Don't you know the sun's above us? We don't have a sun underneath shining as well. But they continued on because he was convinced that there was enough reflection from, say, the ground. When you look at a large solar farm, there's usually a gap, a couple of metres, say, from the actual solar panel to the ground. Not so much on a roof of a house where you've only got a small gap, but he was convinced there was enough of a gap from the ground that you'd get some reflection back from the ground back up to the solar panel. So they did some testing and they found that, believe it or not, the guy had some idea what he was talking yeah, about. Right. Wow. And 30% of the energy that's hitting the front of the solar panel is then reflected off the ground and hits the back of the solar panel. So this is now a bifacial solar panel. 
I think they came up with that name for this particular project. I don't think it existed before this project. They've got to the point where they can get 24.3% conversion from the sun that hits the front of it, then 23.4% of the sun that hits the back of it. You add those two together, you get up to in the mid-40s, but it's not going to be that good because you're only getting that 30% reflection from the ground. Oh, okay. But you combine those two, the 24.3% at the front and the 23.4% underneath, with the 30% factor hitting the ground and coming back up, overall you get about 29%. So that's fantastic because most solar panels, if they're getting up over 20, they're going quite well. People come up with panels that are 22, 24, everyone gets a bit excited about it. No one before, James, has thought about coming from the back and the front. Yeah, right. So what a great idea. Yeah. I think, again, it's one of those things that you say, what about this? And people laugh at you, think it's stupid. Or you sit around on a committee and someone throws an idea forward and everyone goes, no, it's a silly idea. But then you just let it sit away in the back of your mind, it festers away yeah. and suddenly goes, hold on. Maybe that's not such a bad idea. And that's when someone else claims the idea is their own because they suddenly say, why don't we use both sides of the solar panel? Again, I don't think we'll see them on the rooftops that we see lots of solar panels around, particularly in Australia, unless you start to put a gap between the solar panels and the rooftop. I think in those large solar installations that we see where we've got lots of these solar panels out, I think we'll start to see this. And again, the higher we can get that generation of power from solar panels, the better we're going to be at producing power from solar panels. It's the way of the future, folks, and what an innovation. Well, like all good things, we've come to an end of another episode of Tech Talk. Thanks again, Matt, for your insights and some pretty special innovations this week. Another cracking episode. Yeah, thanks, James, and keep giving us that feedback. I love hearing from people that listen to our episodes. Ask at techtalk.digital is our email address. Send it through there. I just love hearing what people have to say or just some comments or ideas. We often get people send us through ideas. All those ideas that keep coming through, thank you. There's so much to sift through to try and narrow it down to the nine best topic each week, but it is really enjoyable to find those ideas and nut out how they're going to apply to our world in the future. Thank you folks for choosing our Tech Talk once again. It's always a pleasure to deliver. Hope you can all join us again next week. I'm your host, James Eddy, and don't forget to like and subscribe. 